to On the House, the podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, and video games, because, hey, whatever we talk about on the house. And Dave, I have a question for you. Yes. Do you like scary movies? Why, yes, I do. Oh, good. That's right, folks. We're talking about the 1996 classic Scream, the film that basically defined horror films for the remainder of the 90s and early aughts. Yeah, there was a period of time that's now collectively called the post-Scream era of horror. Yes, this is one of those films where it got so big, I feel like it kind of started to get some hate just because of the wave of knockoffs that came after it. And I even like some of the Scream-like slashers. I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend, Cherry Falls. And even when the established franchises did entries that were more aligned tone-wise, like Halloween H2O and Bride of Chucky. There's definitely some good in there. For me, I generally speaking, and we'll kind of go into this, I prefer the slasher films that came prior to this but i actually i kind of had a history where i wasn't the biggest fan of this movie just because a lot of the tropes that were established in this got played out in later films mm-hmm. man it kind of took me a while to kind of go it's not this film's fault that other films did it poorly you know yeah and Honestly, I would put Scream in my top five films of all time, horror or not. It's just mm-hmm. so it, struck this... a, it struck a chord with me, and it's just been one of my favorites to go back to, even though I know all the twists and turns. Like it's always exciting to see again. I will say this is both a praise to the film. <clears throat> um, but I don't want it to come across as a backhanded compliment. The opening scene is one of the best directed moments in a horror film, period. Like, it establishes the tone for this movie, the feel. And while the series spent, like, the entire rest of its existence trying to recreate that, there's no denying just how effective that opening scene is. It is perfect. To the point, whenever I see something, like somebody says they're doing a Scream parody, I assume they're just spoofing the opening scene until I see otherwise. Yes, exactly. It's one of those, this scene is so iconic where, even if you haven't seen this movie, you know this scene. Very similar to When a Stranger Calls, the 1970s film, where people, like, in their, like, culturally just think the entire film is the opening scene almost. And I guess a more modern example would be the opening of It. Yeah, definitely. But I liked how this film inspired an increase of people getting color ID. <laughs> yeah, rewatching this film kind of made me realize just how much of the then modern technology I will have to explain to my niece and nephew what the heck it was. I apparently read in an interview that that during production, they even thought while making this, this is going to be dated as heck. And 
in many ways it is, but I'm of the belief that a film being clearly from a specific time period doesn't make it unable to still have a lasting impact. Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, it's definitely a time capsule is what I would say more than dated. I mean, definitely some, a lot of the stuff is screams the nineties. Scream is the (laughs) nineties. I mean, like one of the key scenes takes place in a video rental store. Uh, I miss rental stores. But what kept the franchise so strong for me is the lead star. Nev Campbell is amazing in this. Yeah, she... Honestly, the entire cast in this does an excellent job, all of the characters. Mm -hmm. But Nev Campbell is the standout. And then you have Courtney Cox playing as against type as you possibly could. Funny thing is, like, I knew this movie before I watched any of Friends, so I assumed this as her, like, default kind of character. And and also David Arquette. Yeah. Who, it's weird. It's like, I was young, young, young when this came out. So it's like, this film has reached the point where I've gone from, oh, man, it's the adults playing teenagers to, oh, man, look at all the babies in this film. And we have Matthew Lillard, the future Shaggy, in this. He only used one-tenth of his power. Speaking of things that are instantly dated. Though it's funny, like, back either in the late 90s or early 2000s, they did, like, a Scooby-Doo parody of Scream commercial, and they had Shaggy, still voiced by Casey Kasem at that point, like, doing the ghost face voice. (laughs) Yeah. I will say, Matthew Lillard's had an interesting career, but he does make a great Shaggy. There's a reason they kept him around. So are we going to have, like, a separate spoiler section or just be open about this because this is 25 years old? Or I feel like at this point you know it. Especially, like, all the sequels are open about who the killer was. Mm-hmm. Or rather, who the killers are. Yeah, kind of a brilliant plot twist at the time was that there were two killers. I asked, did you already know the reveal the first time you saw this? Or Yeah, by the time I'd seen this, I knew that uh, certain actors were the killers in it. And I knew, like, this was one of the films where you're too young to watch it. But you have, like, cool older cousins who tell you what happened in good details. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew about the garage door death Mm. years before I saw this film. Which, out of all four films, I would say the garage door is probably the most creative kill the series has had. Like, I would say there are series that don't really rely on creative deaths, more like just the scenes themselves as what makes them memorable. I'd say Scream is definitely the former, as opposed to something like Elm Street or Friday, which is about trying to make them as creative as you could. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the kills in this aren't... Like, the garage door one, like you said, is probably the most 
notable one, but even then, I wouldn't rank it anywhere near, like, if Jason had done it, it wouldn't make anybody's top mm-hmm. 10 list, you know? And there's also not that many kills. Like, the total body count is seven, and if you subtract two the two killers from that, that's only five kills that the killers get, and two of those are in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. But I I would compliment this movie for playing fair with the twist. Like, there's one scene where Jamie Kennedy's Randy is being ganged up on in the movie store by the two people who turn out to be the killer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's... Go on. The two-killer twist was brilliant because it's... The people who are the killers act like serial killers, but your brain automatically assumes there's only going to be one. So it's like process of elimination. You're like, well, it can't be him because X happened. I mean, oddly enough, I think the only other slasher prior to this that I think did the two killer twist was Curtains. But... Yeah, nobody saw that. Mm-hmm. But we have a podcast on it, which you should definitely check out. It's one of the favorite films that we've watched for this series. That we weren't already both familiar with when we recorded. Mm-hmm. But I'll say I am glad that they made Billy ultimately evil because he was just, even prior to the reveal, he's kind of an asshole. I wouldn't want to have seen him get redeemed. Well, let's be honest, he should have died just for having that haircut. <laughs> Like just how he's trying to force Sydney into sex, and mm-hmm. like if he if he wasn't the killer, I would have been rooting for him to get killed by a Ghostface. Oh, definitely. No, they do a good job of making you care for the main character and wanting her to survive. You know, and I would say that's one of Craven's specialties. He made you care for the characters. Mm-hmm. Like the only ones you would probably come to hate are the two who turn out to be the killer. Like even Gail gets a little more deaf from instead of just being a shallow vapid reporter. Yeah, I mean at first you are rooting for her to die. Mm-hmm. But they this is similar to the last podcast we did. It on people under the stairs. They do a great job of like establishing this world and how it works. <laughs> Not to mention just storytelling throughout without somebody sitting down and saying, hey, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. The one thing I've noticed is that except for the garage scene, like during the original trilogy, even though it's what we call the killer now, nobody says Ghostface. Well, it's similar to Pinhead. Nobody's ever called him that in the films, I don't believe. But I wonder, like, was he being called that, like, by audiences and, like, the filmmakers back during the 90s? Because I know they start saying Ghostface a lot more in Scream 4. So my understanding is the mask was literally they just bought it from a Halloween store. Mm-hmm. Like, they originally bought it. They were going to kind of make something based on it, but it didn't look as good as what they bought. Mm -hmm. So they went and got more copies of the mask 
but in the time they'd done it, the the costume company had actually changed the name of the costume from whatever it was to Ghostface, mm -hmm. and that's how it got the name. And there's a rapper who took that name later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I will say, like, one criticism I've seen of this movie that I disagree with is that people say it's like being malicious or angry towards the older films it's referencing, and I never felt that. Like, I feel this film does have an appreciation for what came before. I feel like this is definitely a film made out of love for those films, mm -hmm. but also very much making, you know, you can love something and still poke holes at it. I mean, it's kind of something as a society we've lost where it's like, it's why the parody genre kind of died. Mm -hmm. It went from someone like Mel Brooks, who he loved the Westerns. That's why he made Blazing Saddles. He loved the original Frankenstein films. That's why he made Young Frankenstein to with the scary movies. And then especially with the epic movies. It was, nah, these suck. We're going to just point holes at them the entire time. I don't even think those movies do that. They just make pop culture references. Yeah. To be fair, the only one of those I ever saw was Vampire Suck. Which definitely was trying to do it. I would honestly say, like, similar to something I said about people under the stairs, like, just for, like, I think Scream would actually be a good horror movie to be among the first you see if you want to get into the genre more. Uh, for me, I feel like a lot of it would kind of be not as appreciated just without knowing. I feel like you'd need to see like Friday the 13th and Halloween first. Mm -hmm. Especially because this film spoils the former in the opening scene. Mm-hmm. It's not that this film does anything wrong per se. It's it's one of those films though where it has a definite tone to it. <laughs> where you'll learn pretty quick, are you into this tone or not? But yeah, the Scream films were not quite the first, but they were among the first slashers I saw, so they've been in my heart as a horror fan from early on. Mm -hmm. oh, I definitely understand it. For me, I kind of came across them a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But I definitely, I can appreciate the impact that they had on these films, you know? Mm -hmm. And also, I feel like this film made the song Red Right Hand like a horror movie staple afterwards, you know? Did any other horror movie use it outside of these films? I know it was, like, briefly in Dumb and Dumber, I want to say. Mm -hmm. But, like, after that, like, it's been in multiple, like, the X-Files used it. Mm -hmm. Hellboy, it was on the soundtrack, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of been, like, commercials especially have used it all the time. Mm-hmm. And while there have been plenty of horror icons, 
who debuted in the 90s and 2000s or later. Uh, Ghostface is maybe one of the last, like, slasher villains to really become part of the villain canon. Yeah, I would say after him, the next one to really show up was probably Pennywise, because even with Jigsaw, like, you never saw Jigsaw, you just saw that puppet, you know? Yeah, and most people doing saw parodies just have the puppet be the thing they spoof. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say after this, the next one to really get into that, like, Mount Rushmore was Pennywise from the It remake. Besides the, like, really main films, the well-known ones they address, like Halloween or Friday, were there any smaller horror films you first heard of through being mentioned in one of these movies? I can't say there's any that I was introduced to through this. Well, like, what was... Because I don't think it was Silver Bullet. What was that thing they said where, quote, the E.T., I mean, the, the werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom? Oh, that's the Howling. Great mm-hmm. flick. And they mentioned Prom Night in this, which is really one of my favorite 80s slashers and one of the best Jamie Lee Curtis ones that's not Halloween. Mm-hmm. Oh, they definitely love of Jamie Lee Curtis in this film. Uh-huh. And just a meta joke of Randy, played by Jamie Kennedy, is watching Halloween and saying, Jamie, behind you, as the killer's approaching. Oh, now I remember the thing I was going to say is that, and even though, like, the other thing most people remember from Scream is the whole rules of a horror movie, I would say from the very beginning that they're not really to be taken seriously in-universe either. Mm Mm-hmm. Not just, like, in the sense of going back to older movies and finding plenty of examples where the rules weren't didn't apply, but just even here, like, oh, you have sex, so Sydney ends up doing it if she survives. And Yeah, it has fun with its tropes, you know? Mm-hmm. And it went on to establish a long-running franchise, which includes a fifth one that'll be, well... Either it's already out or just coming out at the time that this video is released. Like, whenever we do the video on it, we're just going to say Scream 5. Yes, because I hate this trend with movies, just reusing this, the name when it's not a reboot. <laughs> and one more subtle thing I think Scream started was... When it goes into the backstory of Sydney's mom and what happened with her, I think this film treats that kind of issue a lot more tastefully than something from the 80s would, where it might have been a lot more crass. The 80s would have been more exploitative with it. Mm-hmm. But I would say. Yeah. And I think I read this article one time that said one thing that became more common in the post-Scream era is like talking about how a lot of the horrors are from your real life and from what your parents might have done. But yeah, this is one of my favorite movies of all time and I find myself going back to it a lot and if you haven't already, check it out. Yeah, definitely gotta echo what Dave says. It's not one of my personal favorites, but 
it's a staple of the genre for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's you got to watch it, even if you're just a casual horror fan. Of course, if you're even a casual horror fan, you've already seen it. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. But folks, this wraps up this podcast. Uh, Dave, thank you again for joining me. You're welcome. And folks, we hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.